Chapter Twelve of the Sturdy Oak. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Sturdy Oak, Chapter Twelve, by William Allen White. As the two gagged women, one comfortably gagged with more or less pleasant bandages made and provided, the other gagged by the large, smelly hand of an entire stranger to Mrs. George Remington, whom she was trying impolitely to bite by way of introduction, were speeding through the night, Mr. George Remington, ending a long and late speech before the Whitewater Businessmen's Club, was saying these things. I especially deplore this modern tendency to talk as though there were two kinds of people in this country, those interested in good government, and those interested in bad government. We are all good Americans. We are all interested in good government. Some of us believe good government may be achieved through a protective tariff and a proper consideration for prosperity, cheers, and others, in their blindness, bow down to wood and stone. He smiled amiably at the laughter, and continued. But while some of us see things differently as to means, our aims are essentially the same. You don't divide people according to trades and callings. I deplore this attempt to set the patriotic merchant against the patriotic saloon-keeper, the patriotic follower of the racetrack against the patriotic manufacturer. Here is my good friend, Benji Doolittle. When he played the ponies in the old days, before he went into the undertaking and furniture business, was he less patriotic than now? Was he less patriotic then than my uncle Martin Jaffrey is now, with all his manufacturer's interest in a stable government? And is my uncle Martin Jaffrey more patriotic than Pat Noonan? Or is Pat less patriotic than our substantial merchant, Wesley Norton? Down with this talk that would make lines of moral and patriotic cleavage along lines of vocation or calling. I want no votes of those who pretend that the good Americans should vote in one box and the bad Americans in another box. I want the votes of those of all castes and cults who believe in prosperity, loud cheers, and I want the votes of those who believe in the glorious traditions of our party, its magnificent principles, its martyred heroes, its deathless name in our history. It was, of course, an after-dinner speech. Being the last speech of the campaign, it was also a highly important one. But George Remington felt, as he sat listening to the din of the applause, that he had answered rather neatly those who said he was wobbling on the local economic issue and was swaying in the wind of socialist agitation which the women had started in Whitewater. As he left the hotel where the dinner had been given, he met his partner on the sidewalk. "'Get in, Penny,' he urged, jumping into his car. "'Come out to the house for the night, and we'll have Betty over to breakfast.' Then she and Genevieve and you and I will see if we can't restore the antebellum modus vivendi. Come on, Emmeline and Alice always breakfast in bed anyway, and it will be no trouble to get Betty over. The two men rode home in complacent silence. It was long past midnight. They sat on the veranda to finish their cigars before going into the house. Penny, asked George suddenly, what has Pat Noonan got in this game? I mean against the agitation by the women, and this investigation of conditions in Kentwood. Why should he agonize over it? Is he fussing about it? Is he? 
Do you think I'd tie his name up in a public speech with Martin Jaffrey if Pat wasn't off the reservation? You could see him swell up like a pisoned pump when I did it. I hope Uncle Martin will not be offended. He's a good sport, George. What did Pat do to give you this hunch? Remington smoked in meditative silence, then answered. Well, Penny, I had to raise the devil of a row the other day to keep Pat from ribbing up Benji Doolittle and the organization to a frame-up to kidnap this Elliot person. Kidnap E. Elliot! gasped the amazed Evans. Kidnap that very pest! And I tell you, man, if I hadn't roared like a stuck ox, they would have done it. Fancy introducing prisoner of Zenda stuff into the campaign in Whitewater. Though I will say this, Penny, as between old army friends and college chums, continued Mr. Remington earnestly, if a warrior bold with spurs of gold, who was slightly nearsighted and not particular about his love being so damned young and fair, would swoop down and carry this E. Elliot off to his princely dungeon, and would let down the portcullis for two days until the election is over, it would help some, though otherwise I don't wish her any bad luck. The old army friend and college chum laughed. Well, that's your end of the story. I'm mighty glad you stopped it. Here's my end. You remember Two-Fingered Moll, who was our first client? The one who insisted on being referred to as a lady? The one who got converted and quit the game, and who thought she was being pursued by the racetrack gang because she was trying to live decent? George smiled in remembrance. Well, she called me up to know if there was any penalty for renting a house to Mike the Goat and his wife and old Salubrious the Armenian, who had a lady friend they were keeping from the cops against her will. She said they weren't going to hurt the lady, and I could see her every day to prove it. I advised her to keep out of it, of course, but she was strong for it because of what she called the big money. I explained carefully that if anything should happen, her past reputation would go against her but she kept saying it was straight, until I absolutely forbade her to do it, and she promised not to. "'Mike and this woman and old Salubrious,' echoed Remington, and E. Elliot locked up with them for two days. He shivered, partly at the memory of his own mealy-mouthed protest. "'Well,' he said, and there was an air of finality in his tone, "'I'm glad I stopped the whole infamous business.' Mentally, he decided to get Noonan on the telephone the first thing in the morning, and make certain that the plan was abandoned. He continued his chat with Evans. But, Penny, why this agonizing of Noonan? What has he to lose by the better conditions in Kentwood? Why should he— Outside of a neat white dwelling in the suburbs of Whitewater, four figures were struggling in the night toward a vine-covered door— that door which appeared so attractively in the welfare bulletin of the Toledo Bladesteel Company's publicity program as the prize garden home of J. Agricola Roller. A woman stood in the doorway, holding the door open. Two women, who had been carried by two men from an automobile at the gate, were forced through. There the men left them with their hostess. "'I was only looking for one of yous,' she said hospitably, but your boat welcome. Now, ladies, I'm going to make you comfortable. It won't do no good to scream, so I'm going to take your gags off. And I hope you, lady, haven't been inconvenienced by a handkerchief. We could just as well have arranged for your comfort, too. Madame, 
gasped E. Eliot, who was the first to be released to speech. It is unimportant who I am. But do you know that this woman with me is Mrs. George Remington, the wife of the candidate for district attorney, Mr. George Remington of Whitewater? There has been a mistake. The hostess looked at Genevieve, who nodded a tearful confirmation. But the woman only smiled. My man don't make mistakes, she said laconically. And what's more to the point, miss, he's a friend of George Remington, and why should he be giving his lady a vacation? You are E. Elliot, and your friends think you're working too hard, so they're going to give you a nice rest. Nothing will happen to you if you're a lady, as I think you are. And when I find out who this other lady is, we'll make her as welcome as you. She went out of the room, locking the door behind her, as the two women struggled vainly with their bonds. In an instant she returned. My man says to tell the one who thinks she's Mrs. George Remington that she's spending the weekend with Mrs. Napoleon Boneypart. My man says he's a good friend of George Remington and is supporting him for district attorney, and that's how he can make it so pleasant here. And I'll tell you something else, she continued proudly. When George got married, it was my man that went up and down Smoky Row and seen all the girls and got em to give a dollar apiece for them lovely roses labeled the Young Men's Republican Club. Mr. Doolittle, he's seen to that. My man really collected fifty dollars more'n he turned in, and I got a diamond-set wristwatch with it. So you see, we're real friendly with them Remingtons, and we're glad to see you, Mrs. Remington. Oh, how horrible! cried Genevieve. There were eight dozen of those roses from the Young Men's Republican Club, and to think, oh, to think! Well now, George, cried Mr. Penfield Evans, just stop and think. Use your bean, my boy. What is the one thing on earth that puts the fear of God into Pat Noonan? It's prohibition. Look at the prohibition map out west and at the suffrage map out west. They fit each other like the paper on the wall. Whatever women may lack in intelligence about some things, there is one thing woman knows, high and low, rich and poor. She knows that the saloon is her enemy, and she hates it. And Pat Noonan, seeing this rise of women investigating industry, makes common cause with Martin Jaffrey and the whole employing class of Whitewater against the nosy interference of women. And Pat Noonan is depending on you, continued Evans. He expects you to rise. He expects you to go to Congress, possibly to the Senate, and he figures that he wants to be dead sure you'll not get into truckling to decency on the liquor question. So he ties you up, or tries you out for a tie-up or a kidnapping. And Benji Doolittle, who likes a sporting event, takes a chance that you'll stand hitched in a plan to rid the community of a political pest without seriously hurting the pest, a friendless old maid who won't be missed for a day or two, and whose disappearance can be hushed up one way or another after she appears too late for the election. Just figure things out, George. Do you think Noonan got Mike the Goat to assess the girls on the row a dollar apiece for your flowers from the Young Men's Republican Club, for his health? You had the grace to thank Pat, but if you didn't know where they came from, explained Mr. Evans cynically, it was because you have forgotten where all Pat's floral offerings from the YMRC come from at weddings and funerals, and Pat feels that you're his kind of people. Politics, George, is not the chocolate eclair that you might think it, if you didn't know it. Use your bean, my boy, use your bean. 
and you'll see why Pat Noonan lines up with the rugged captains of industry who are the bulwarks of our American liberty. Pat uses his head for something more than a hat rack. The two puffed for a time in silence. Finally the host said, Well, let's turn in. Three minutes later George called across the upper hall to Penfield. The joke's on us, Penny. Here's a note saying that Genevieve is over with Betty for the night. We'll call her up after breakfast and have them both over to a surprise party. Penny strolled across to his friend's door. He was disappointed, and he showed it. He found George sitting on the side of his bed. Penny, mused the young man in politics in his finest mood, you know I sometimes think that perhaps, way down deep, there is something wrong with our politics. I don't like to be hooked up with Noonan and his gang, and I don't like the way Noonan and his gang are hooked up with Wesley Norton and the silk stockings and Uncle Martin and the big fellows. Why can't we get rid of the Noonan influence? Why aren't they after the things we're after? They only furnish the unthinking votes that make majorities that elect the fellows the big crooks handle. Lord, man, it's a dirty mess. And why women want to get into the dirty mess is more than I can see. What a sweet valedictory address you are making for the young ladies' school, scoffed Penny. The hills are green far off. Aren't you the sweet young thing? But I'll tell you why the women want to get in, George. They think they want to clean up the mess. But would they clean it? Wouldn't they vote about as we vote? Well, answered Mr. Evans, with the cynicism of the judicial mind, let's see. You know now, if you didn't know at the time, that Noonan got Mike the goat to assess the disorderly houses for the money to buy your wedding roses from the YMRC. All right, Noonan's bartender is on the ticket with you as assemblyman. Are you going to vote for him or not? But, Penny, I've just about got to vote for him. All right, then, I'll tell Genevieve the truth about Noonan and the flowers, and I'll ask her if she would feel that she had to vote for Noonan's bartender retorted Mr. Evans. Giving women the ballot will help at least that much. If the Noonans stay in politics, they'll get no help from the women when they vote. But aren't we protecting the women? Anyway, Mrs. Remington, said E. Elliot comfortably, I'm glad it happened just this way. Without you, they would hold me until after the election on Tuesday. With you, about tomorrow at ten o'clock we shall be released. E. Elliot alone they have made every provision for holding. They have started a scandal, I don't doubt, necessary to explain my absence, and pulled the political wires to keep me from making a fuss about it afterward. They know their man in the district attorney's office, and— Do you mean George Remington? This from his wife with flashing eyes. I mean, explained E. Elliot, unabashed, that for some reason they feel safe with George Remington in the district attorney's office, or they would not kidnap me to prevent his defeat. That is the cold-blooded situation. This party, E. Elliot smiled, is given at the country home of Mike the Goat, as nearly as I can figure it out. Mike is the right-hand man of Noonan. Noonan is a right-hand man of Benji Doolittle and Wesley Norton, and they are all a part of the system that holds Martin Jaffrey's industries under the amiable beneficence of our sacred protective tariff. Hail, hail, the gang's all here. What do we care now, my dear? And because you are here and are a part of the heaven-born combination for the public good, 
I am content to go through the rigors of one night without a nighty for the sake of the cause. But they don't know who I am, protested Mrs. Remington, and— Exactly, and for that reason they don't know who you are not. Tomorrow the whole town will be looking for you, and Noonan will hear who you are and where you are. Then— Say, girl, it will be grist for our mill. Fancy the headlines all over the United States. Gang kidnaps candidate's wife. Mystery shrouds plot. Candidate Remington is silent. But he won't be silent, protested the indignant Genevieve. I tell you, he'll denounce it from the platform. He'll never let this outrage— Well, my dear, said the imperturbable E. Eliot, when he denounces this plot, he'll have to denounce Doolittle and Noonan, and probably Norton, and maybe his Uncle Martin Jaffrey. Somebody is paying big money for this job. I said the headlines will declare, Candidate Remington is silent, but still maintains that women are protected from rigors of cruel world by men's chivalry. Oh, Miss Elliot, don't! How can you? Oh, I know George will not let this outrage— Of course not! hooted E. Eliot. The sturdy oak will support the clinging vine. But while he is doing it, he will be defeated. And if he doesn't protest, he will be defeated, for I shall talk. George Remington will face defeat like a gentleman, Miss Eliot. Have no fear of that. He will speak out, no matter what happens. And when he speaks, when he tells the truth about this whole alliance between the greedy, ruthless rich and the brutal, vicious dregs of this community, our cause is won. The next morning, George Remington reached from his bed for his telephone and called up the Sheridan residence. Two minutes later, Penfield Evans heard a shout. At his door stood the unclad and pallid candidate for district attorney. Penny! he gasped. Genevieve's not there. She has not been with Betty all night. And Betty has gone out to find E. Elliot, who is missing from her boarding house. Are you sure? God, Penny, I thought I had stopped it. George was back in his room, flying into his clothes. The two men were talking loudly. From down the hall, a sleepy voice, unmistakably Mrs. Brewster Smith's, was drawling, George, George, are you awake? I didn't hear you come in. Dear Genevieve went over to stay all night with Cousin Betty, and the oddest thing happened. About midnight the telephone bell rang, and that odious Elliot person called you up. George was in the hall in an instant, and before Mrs. Brewster Smith's door. Well, well, for God's sake, what did she say? he cried. Oh, yes, I was coming to that. She said to send your chauffeur with the car down to the— Oh, I forget, some nasty factory or something, for Genevieve. She said Genevieve was down there talking to the factory girls. Fancy that, George. So I just put up the receiver. I knew Genevieve was with Betty Sheridan, and not with that odious person at all. It was some ruse to get your car and compromise you. Fancy dear Genevieve talking to the factory girls at midnight. Penfield Evans and George Remington, standing in the hall, Listen to these words with terror in their hearts. Get Noonan first, said George. I'll talk to him. In five seconds Evans had Noonan's residence. Remington listened to Penny's voice. Gone, he was saying. Gone where? And then, why, he was at the dinner last. What's Doolittle's number? 
Noonan went to New York on the midnight train, he threw at George. A moment later Remington heard his partner cry, Doolittle's gone to New York on the midnight train? Try Norton, snapped George. Soon he heard Penny exclaim, Albany? said Penny. Mr. Norton is in Albany? Thank you. They're alibis, said Evans calmly as he hung up the receiver and stared at his partner. Well, it, it, why, Penny, they've stolen Genevieve, that damned Mike and the Armenian. They've got Genevieve with that Elliot woman. God, why, Penny, for God's sake, what? Slowly, George, slowly, let's move carefully. The voice of Penfield Evans was cool and steady. First of all, we need not worry about any harm coming to Genevieve. She is with Miss Elliot, and that woman has more sense than a man. She may be depended upon. Now then, Evans waved his partner to silence and went on. The next thing to consider is how much publicity we shall give this episode. He paused. It's not a matter of publicity, it's a matter of getting Genevieve immediately. An hour or so of publicity of the screaming hysterical kind will not help us to find Genevieve. But when we do find her, our publicity will have defeated you. The two men stared at each other. Remington said, you mean I must shield the organization. If you are to be elected, yes. Do you think Genevieve and Miss Elliot would consent to shield the organization when we find them? Why, Penny, you're mad. We must call up the chief of police. We must scour the country. I propose to go right to the newspapers. The more people who know of this dastardly thing, the sooner we shall recover the victims." and the sooner Noonan, when he comes home tonight, will denounce you as an accessory before the fact, with Norton and Doolittle as corroborating witnesses for him. Oh, you're learning politics fast, George. The thought of what Genevieve would say when she knew, through Noonan and Doolittle, that he had heard of the plot to kidnap Miss Elliot, and within an hour had talked to his wife casually at luncheon, without saying anything about it, made George's heart stop he realized that he was learning something more than politics. He walked the floor of the room. "'Well,' he said at last, "'let's call in Uncle Martin Jaffrey. He—' "'Yes, he is probably paying for the job. He might know something. I'll get him.' "'Paying for the job? Do you think he knew of this plot?' cried George as Evans stood at the telephone." oh no he just knew in a leer from doolittle that they had extraordinary need for five thousand dollars or so in your behalf that they had consulted you and then doolittle winked and noonan cocked his head rakishly and uncle martin put hello mr jaffrey this is penny dress and come down to the office quickly we are in serious trouble twenty minutes later uncle martin was sitting with the two young men in the office of remington and evans when they explained the situation to him, his dry little face screwed up. "'Well, at least Genevieve will be all right,' he muttered. "'E. Elliot will take care of her. But boys, boys!' He squeezed his hands and rocked in misery. "'The devil of it is that I gave Doolittle the money in a check, and then got another check from the owner's protective association, and took the peak load off myself. And Doolittle was with me when I got the P.A. check.' We've simply got to protect him. And, of course, what he knows, Noonan knows. We can't go tearing up Jack here, calling police and raising the town. George Remington rose. 
then i've got to let my wife lie in some dive with that unspeakable turk and that mike the goat while you men dicker with the scoundrels who committed this crime he said my god every minute is precious we must act let me call the chief of police and the sheriff all dear friends of noonan's penny quietly reminded him they probably have the same tip about what is on as you and uncle martin have calm down george first let me go out and learn when noonan and doolittle are coming home when we know that we can penny i can't wait i must act now i must denounce the whole damnable plot to the people of this country i must not rest one second longer in silence as an accessory i shall denounce yes george you shall denounce exclaimed his partner but just whom yourself that you did not warn miss elliot all day yesterday yes cried remington first of all myself as a coward all right next then your uncle martin jaffrey who was earnestly trying to help you in the only way he knew how to help why george that would be that would be the least i could do to let the people see to let the people see that mrs brewster smith and all your social friends in this town are associated with mike the goat and his gang before evans could finish his partner stopped him yes yes the whole damned system of greed the rich greed and the poor greed our criminal classes plotting to keep justice from the decent law-abiding people of the place who are led like sheep to the slaughter what did the owners pay that money for not for the dirty job that has turned not primarily but to elect me because they thought i would not enforce the factory laws and the housing laws and would protect them in their larceny that money uncle martin collected was my price my price he was standing before his friends rigid and white in rage neither man answered him and because the moral sense of the community was in the hearts and heads of the women of the community he went on those who are upholding the immoral compact between business and politics had to attack the womanhood of the town and genevieve's peril is my share in the shame my god i'm through end of chapter 12